0: Hot round, Red 7! Red 7! Red 7! Don. What? Red 7! I don't know what Red 7 means. Hot route! I don't... What is hot route?
1: Will you just go stand on the other side, please?
0: Billy Bob! This is
1: it! The man who got us here. You ready? You don't think that lame-ass play where I run down the field and act like I'm lost is gonna work, do you? Then he pivots, fakes, chucks the big bomb halfway down the field to our hopefully still wide-open tailback. I call it the annexation
0: of Puerto Rico. Booyah! That's what we call a sack lunch. I need that ball. Get
1: me the ball. You need the ball. Get me the ball. Get me the ball. Oh, are you gonna
0: get me the oh, ball? I'm hoping them kill somebody. And here we go. Another episode of 11 personnel. Nick Roush here with Adam Luckett, where. We're inching closer and closer to the return of sports. What get, have you enjoyed the return of the PGA Tour?
1: I have very much enjoyed watching some golf, my friend. Even though we got some news today that wasn't good on that front, but it looks like they're <laughs> were, moving forward as planned.
0: Were you worried that they were about to just say, "Actually, we're not we're, we're done golfing for now."
1: Not this weekend, but like moving forward uh, they could be where something where they're they're going to be like let's kind of reevaluate, but it, I haven't seen what the commissioner said yet. But it sounds like the few snippets that I saw that he's pretty much like
0: stop crying, we're going to play golf kind of thing. Yeah, it was it was something like we're going to have to learn to live with the virus, which is you know I, I know that we uh, you can't say anything about coronavirus without it being like political, but I, I think regardless if you want sports to happen there's a certain amount of hey people are going to get it and it's it's how we deal with it once they get it uh and and moving on from there now i'm sure it'll be different if they're like if somebody becomes severely sick from it but i think that's kind of the the way that you kind of need to go about it for the foreseeable future and at least in golf you know it's no big deal if you know, Brooks Kepka misses two weeks because, I mean, there's not really a major tournament for, what, another two months or something like that. So, you know, this is kind of time where you can kind of get all the bad juju out of your system. PGA Championship's middle of August, I believe. That's the next big tournament. The Memorial's
1: kind of, kind of big. It's one of the bigger non-majors. That's in middle of July, end of July. Mm-hmm. So, like, these tournaments they're playing right now are the tournaments that everybody sits out during the season.
0: Right, right. Like town,
1: where they played last week, that's always, I believe, the tournament after the Masters. Mm-hmm. So hardly anybody, you know, pretty relevant plays in that. So gotcha. we've got guys playing tournaments they usually don't play. So I don't know. Uh, I think there's definitely something to that where there's going to be these COVID outbreaks. Like we're seeing in college football right now, teams are getting mm-hmm. together and there's been there's – multiple different types of outbreaks. And I think in social media, some of those have been gotten like, oh my God, I can't believe all this is happening. Well, I think that was kind of what they expected to happen. There was going to be this. You want them to happen now, so you can, in theory, keep everybody in a bubble, keep them all together, separate them, where I guess if everybody gets in the same living quarters or the same people you're hanging out with, you 'll be able to fight it off so they're I think they were wanting to do it now to you know you want those tests to pop up now so you can I guess beat it and get it out of the way
0: right right and kind of develop antibodies and I I didn't want to start with covid talk but hell we're here we might as well go there uh, just like the the PGA players are going to flavortown uh, we're not calling it Columbus anymore it's flavortown <laughs> Ohio uh, it, it, it it is a no um, but This week, UK, uh, they made their, I I guess they're doing like every two or three week kind of announcement thing where, okay, here's the latest. Here's what we're doing. uh, Let's move along. And part of that was, hey, the volleyball team, they started coming back this week. uh, The basketball team, they'll be here next week. And also we've tested 106 student athletes, which it's all football players at this point. And only six of them have tested positive for having a past infection and that's an important detail because they've only been testing for antibodies lucky were you surprised that that they're they're only doing antibody testing and not the the nasal swab test yeah i
1: i'd have to say i was but i'm not dr covid over here (laughs) so i i don't like you would think, with as much as at stake and how much money they have, they would go ahead and for the football team, just go ahead and do the full out test. But maybe there's a reason for mm-hmm. just doing antibodies, because like you said, you have to eventually operate in an atmosphere where it's probably gonna be. And so I guess the antibody tests will, will you know, will make sure someone is not getting. I, I, yeah, you would probably have to explain it to me antibody tests just be like they had it in the past
0: yeah exactly it does it 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 means that you kind of have immunities uh built up to it okay Um, yeah so the the thing that i i I guess for me it's more of like well i you can't i i think it's good to do the antibody test but i would think that you would just why not go ahead and get the regular nasal swab to see if they have it now uh, upon their return um but like you, I'm not Doctor COVID. Uh, so, uh, in in UK isn't the only one that's not doing this. Arkansas and right. LSU, yeah. the defending yeah. national champions, they're they're doing the same way. Uh in UK's explanation, like all of the kind of uh, a, they said, well, this could change, and it may very well. Um, this is just kind of what we're doing for the time being, and and that all changes. I mean, health, this coronavirus stuff changes all the time. Uh, but they also said that something to the effect of, because I don't, I don't have it pulled up right in front of me, but we don't want, uh, we don't want them to not have, uh, we we don't want them to get a you test a negative for coronavirus and then you quit wearing masks and you quit social distancing and all that kind of stuff. That was part of the explanation, and the other part was, well, with antibody testing. It's not like you take the regular one and tomorrow you could actually have coronavirus. The, the antibody testing should cast a wider net, which that makes sense.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, Especially I also, when you're dealing
1: with 18 to 22-year-old guys in oh, your yeah.
0: peak physical condition. Right, right. Um, and it, it's just it's one of those things that's like, oh, well, that's kind of weird. Hopefully it doesn't lead to more outbreaks, and it hasn't. Um, I know there's been, like you, you kind of alluded to earlier, there's been a lot of outbreaks in other places. Um, but the, the good news, I, I did want to mention some good news because I know we get inundated with the bad and that's what pops up. Like Indiana, they had like 300 kids come back. They've had zero positive uh, test results. So there are places out there where it hasn't really hit uh, yet, uh, even though that's not necessarily the headline news because it's not as, as scary. And let's be real lucky that the scary stuff gets the clicks.
1: Maybe we all just need to live in Indiana. Maybe that's the secret.
0: It's a horrible idea. <laughs> I, you know what? Give me Corona before I'll ever live in Indiana. Oh, it, you say you couldn't qu-
1: quarantine two weeks in Bloomington and then you would be promised that you wouldn't have COVID ever.
0: So I've only been to Bloomington once and it was I, it was for a basketball tournament, and we actually got to play, or no, I don't think we went far enough to actually play in Assembly Hall. I think we lost the game right before we got to play there, but we went to Assembly Hall to watch some of the games, and dude, that place, it, it, it gives you the worst vertigo, man. It is, uh, it's something awful. I can't believe an architect was like, hey, this is a good idea for a place to play basketball games. It's absolutely miserable, and as somebody who uh, is not a big fan of heights because I myself am very tall, that's just not my cup of tea. So do yourself a favor and stay away from Assembly Hall. Enough Hoosier talk, though, it. and enough coronavirus talk. We get enough of that every single day. Football talk. Xavier Peters is leaving the University of Kentucky. He's heading to Garden City Juco, where. He's going to be with another big name from Kentucky football past, Jaron Williams. Two big pieces of news that came out over the weekend. Adam Luckett, were were you surprised when, when Xavier Peters uh, announced, or I guess he didn't actually announce it, it kind of came out uh, through uh, that Juco football um, account. But were were you surprised when you heard the
1: news? The writing was kind of on the wall. Anytime you get kind of a high-profile player, transfer in this regard in Xavier Peters you would think they might keep him around for a little bit extra but it should not come to a surprise when you've heard the comments whenever his name was brought up by multiple coaches on the coaching staff and then you looked at Kentucky scholarships numbers I believe that gets them down to 85 Grant McInnes and Xavier Peters the last two got him down to 85 and it was probably just kind of a mutual decision in that hey you're not going to play here, at least this year, it's going to be hard for you to get reps. You can go to JUCO, get some reps, and maybe um, get your stuff in order. Because it's sounding like there's probably some stuff off the field that he's got to get straightened out as well.
0: Yeah, and the that was one of those things that, I mean, I, I think we even said it at the time. We were surprised when Mark Stoops kind of – Came out after about six weeks. It was one of those things where I, Peters got the waiver to be able to play, I believe, against Florida. Yeah, he, he would have been that able to get right. snaps against Florida, but uh, th- that didn't happen. We were like, okay, well, maybe they're just taking some time to break him in. I'm sure he wasn't really running with the ones. Then about two weeks later, you know, uh, once the distraction from the quarterback madness were off, it was like, hey, is that Xavier Peters guy playing? And, you know, we got the the Mark Stoops. He's doing some good things in practice. And then after about six weeks, Stoops got one of those questions. It had been a while, and you could tell he was kind of happy that somebody brought it up. It's like, until Xavier Peters starts doing the right things on and off the field, or off the field, he can't get on the field. And from my understanding, it's... He he is the quintessential, dude, if you, you have so much potential... If you would just go to work like big picture, he, if you think on the macro level, he has all of the talent in the world. uh, And and he's an intelligent guy too. He's very thoughtful. uh, He speaks very well. uh, He handles himself very well with the media. He's composed, but the micro stuff, the attention, the detail, the day to day, just showing up to stuff on time, doing your homework, getting in the playbook and watching film, the, the very basics. He wasn't doing that. And you know what, like it, sometimes for those elite athletes, it's really hard to figure that out. And uh, maybe this, I, I hope this Juco experience will wake him up and realize, hey, if you don't do this and, and, and live your life by attacking every single day and doing everything you're supposed to, then things aren't going to work out for you. They really fed the line of we do things
1: a certain way around here and Xavier Peters has to kind of live up to our standards pretty much. Mm-hmm. There's some things you have to do to be able to play on this team. And if you don't do these certain things, you know, we're not going to put up with it. Right. I think we saw Jordan Wright deal with that in a, a little bit. talked, We mm-hmm. talked to Brad White after the spring game last year and he was like, yeah, Jordan played awesome, but you know, how about you do it in practice, Mm -hmm. you know, or don't, don't hot, you know, don't kind of ad lib play cowboy out there. (laughs) Do do your job. Like you have a job and do it. And I think Peter's probably fell into something similar with that. Um, Mm -hmm. By just, you know, you, you're supposed to do this, this, or this. That's what you need to do. And that's just not only on the field, on a specific play. That's also in the weight room. That's also nutrition. What you're supposed to eat. That's also, you know, in the classroom. So I would assume there was a bunch of stuff with with him, with him, and standards he wasn't meeting. That's kind of a program requirement, and it got to this point where it's time for him to move on and head to a different route.
0: And for folks who haven't been paying attention, who've never seen the the Last Chance You show, kids go to JUCO for pretty much two reasons. Okay, I'll give them three. Because there's one caveat: one, you get in, in like big trouble with the law. Or something, you just get kicked off the team, and you got nowhere to go, so you go to JUCO. Two, it's it's grades. Grades are, I would say, what seventy five percent of the the culprit. Luckett is you you didn't have him out of school, or you you were under recruited, um, or or you didn't have him out of high school, so you got to go to JUCO. You think 75 percent is probably a good number for that? That sounds about right. More than right. And
1: then in other cases, guys like Calvin Taylor, who maybe were late bloomers.
0: If, yeah, if, if yeah, and then offers. I, yeah, so you have okay, there's four of them, so I would say 70% are academics, uh, 15, uh, 10% get in trouble with the law, 10% uh, the late bloomers or they played the wrong position. Like Brandon Echols played uh, quarterback in high school at like 5'10, uh, he was a one man show. He goes to play wide receiver in Juco. They flip him to corner, and he's one of the best cornerbacks in all of junior college football. He's an All American. So, and then there's like a 5% of I'm a quarterback and stuff's not going my way. So, and I've already redshirted, so I've got to go play Juco for a year. It worked out well for Terry Wilson. And I want to just give you the tweet of the week, Adam. Look, I don't have like some sort of sponsor for this. To give you the tweet of the week, but it really is perfect to show, like, just juxtapose the, the difference between uh, three years, what the difference will make it, with Jaron Williams and Terry Wilson. Did I lose you?
1: No, I'm still here. You want me to read the tweet, or you got to pull it pulled up?
0: <laughs> I don't have it pulled But, uh, yeah, I mean, you can read it if you've got it pulled yeah, let me, up. Let me find I, I it. We gotta like, get geez, the word. We got.
1: It. I thought you were just gonna uh, do it for me. I was. I was waiting. Waiting.
0: Oh I mean, no! 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 I, I was gonna bask in glory. Yeah, because here's the thing. I wrote the post the following day, and I wanted to make the point, but I was like, I can't just steal Luckett's thunder and not give him credit. I got to give as Adam Luckett noted in the post.
1: 2017, Terry Wilson starts at quarterback for Garden City Community College after leaving Oregon while Jeremy Williams is committed to being UK's future quarterback. 2021, Terry Wilson is the unquestioned QB1 at UK, and Jerram Williams will play QB for Garden City CC after leaving Miami.
0: The way they got to Garden City, much different. Terry Wilson goes to Oregon and... Different but similar. Yeah, I mean, Justin Herbert, and they got recruited in the same class, whereas... Miami kind of rooted. I guess they had an offensive coordinator change, so you can give that some of some credence. But like they brought in Derek King too, because Jeremy Williams was not. Maybe they could have done something physically with him, but all of the reports we got of the way he acted, kind of off the field, they were like, ah, we don't need to deal with this anymore. He's not good enough to put up with that.
1: Right, well, and then you had the thing <laughs> where it with. There was that. Remember that post that came out, I believe in November, that players weren't like going to practice, weren't paying attention. Jeremy Williams was skipping meetings or something.
0: Yeah, he uh he missed curfew the night before they That's played FIU, yeah. and he and one of the senior captains like anonymously went to the Miami Herald and was like, "Yeah, dude shows up uh, late the night before game." I'm pretty sure he still started. He definitely played, and he played horribly, and then lost to FIU. Um, So you have the highest of highs where he's dropping six touchdowns against Louisville, and then you have the lowest of lows where uh, that stuff's happening. And so he ends up at at Garden City, and it's my, 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 how the turntables. And it's kind of just
1: a good explanation of what happened Good example, excuse me, of how quarterback recruiting works. Jaron Williams is a four-star prospect coming out of high school, but when he was coming up, he wasn't a top one hundred prospect. So there was a lot of quarterbacks ahead of him. And so what it happens if like, some of the What happens that, that
0: Georgia year had like Jake from Trevor Lawrence that 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 Georgia uh, football. Class was no, it wasn't Jake Fromm. It was just the year
1: after Fromm, but yeah, Fromm was a senior when those guys were a junior.
0: Yeah, and Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, Jeremy Williams, all in the same state. So good luck being a defensive back in the state of Georgia. Emory Jones, who's at Florida. Yeah, yeah, absolutely loaded.
1: So you get to where uh, these these kids they they want to play for you know top of the line programs. They want to play for. A helmet logos more times than not because I think they know now that that's the best chance for them to succeed even though it's stack competition because in theory you're going to be playing with like a top 15 top 10 roster you're going to have NFL players all around you and that's going to be the best chance to succeed but if it doesn't you can all you can just transfer and go somewhere
0: yeah yeah.
1: So, with Jerem Williams like he gets his chance to start even though he went to a school that didn't really have stability yet under Mark Richt, but it was a brand name and he goes down there and visits the one time that they had their back moment.
0: Right, he they goes beat down Notre there for, Dame
1: for the Notre Dame game and that, you know, as soon as he does that, it's a it's a switch that that gets flipped just like that. Well, anyway, mm-hmm. he in Miami he has his cup of coffee. They alternate between him and Akosi Perry. He starts against Florida, gets sacked 38 times in the opener, <laughs> loses his job, yeah, gets did. it back, torches Louisville, and a couple games there in the middle of the season. He you he you saw why he was a highly rated recruit, like you could see right. you could see really him developing. But then as the season wore on, he, he really started to think to join up again, and lost his job again, and then some stories came out about some off the field type stuff.
0: Right. Which that's also the kind of stuff too, that winning mm-hmm. kills all uh, he, he'll, winning heals all ills. Yeah. I just, qu- so, so damn right. We don't there. know.
1: We <laughs> don't know what really happened, Nick. And that's true mm-hmm. for most other positions, but your quarterback, you just can't, they can't be doing that.
0: No, like, you're your, exactly right.
1: Your quarterback has to be the leader. and, and really it's, not to say in your quarterback, you know, can't be going out and drinking beers, or can't be going out and hanging with the boys, or chasing tail. Like they can do all those things, but you have to do it in a certain way, and you have to be a leader where other guys are following you. Yeah,
0: and where classic, other guys
1: believe in you.
0: Shane behannon was a classic case of that. Like, dude, you can party, but you just can't be seen everywhere. You know, like that's a, it's not how it works, buddy. Right
1: there's the there's definitely a a line uh you have a line you have to walk that you can't really mm-hmm. cross as a quarterback and it felt like you know he kind of crossed that at Miami because it seemed like some of the players didn't really believe in him
0: they lost they lost confidence in him correct right, correct right. but not only and, the, and the it's players those the things, coaching staff too yeah no you're exactly right and i i think it's one of those things too like it where uh it's not as bad as one w- Dale Robinson, but I-, I hate cheering against some of these kids, and I don't really mean to, but like the whole flip flop flip flop flip flop thing, that was so aggravating, and I know it turned a lot of people off the football recruiting yeah. in general. That's and just
1: welcome to football recruiting. I mean, I'm like, that's just how, that's just how the games played,
0: man. How about our boy Wilcoxon? I know we can get in that later. Oh, let's let's just go. before we get into that, uh, and we can kind of close the book on this. I will say one last thing about Xavier Peters because I do think that he fell into one of those four categories that was uh, a, an academic issue. Uh, the, he could, in theory, like it doesn't happen very often. It was supposed to happen with Javante Richardson. He could come back to UK, and typically, uh, it's easier too from that JUCO level because you already have credits at. Uh, the University of Kentucky, so that could I believe be a it, when I see it man. Yeah, like. exactly. I, I'm, I'm the same way. I'm the same way with the uh, the one kid, Torrance Davis, uh, the running back who committed but never signed. I just, if you, yes, there's always a chance that something like that can happen, but it rarely does happen. So I'll, I'll just wait and see.
1: The only reason to do that if you're Kentucky is if the play on the field from that guy is just kick ass. <laughs> Like where you got it. You got to have him. If if it's not, there's there's no sense. Why just take a freshman out of high school and get more years yeah. of ability and then instead of bringing this guy in who already failed in your – essentially he failed in your system once.
0: And you know why he, they can afford to do that is because they got the freshman blue chip guys who can play ball right now. J.J. J. Weaver just flat out beat him out. I mean, so what? They're one di- year difference apart like they would have had the same amount of eligibility. Katie McDaniel on his way to be doing the same thing. So, yeah. now would it be nice if you're 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 all thin at inside linebacker it'd be nice to be able to throw Xavier Peters in at will this year. Uh, <laughs> but like there's no denying that, but right now on that edge, like dude, you're you're, you're you've recruited some dudes there. So, uh, you, you don't need to go out of your your way to to help this dude out if he's not going to reciprocate.
1: And back on Jeremy Williams, what I'm who I'm going to bring up probably did wasn't interested in him because of some of the off-field stuff, off the field stuff. But if you take that away, Jeremy Williams gets on the phone with your cousin Jeff Brom. Ooh, and's like, "I want to play there." Like that always seemed like a perfect fit for me because they've produced got like quarter uh, what was that, Plumber kid, that's kind of who they're rolling with now. Yeah.
0: Like, he was
1: very up and down. He
0: he with, also got murdered, but their offensive line was terrible last year. I just um, think with Williams, yeah.
1: the way he can throw the ball vertically, and with some of those receivers, Purdue has, I think he would have been a really good fit there. But what we see with Jeremy Williams, it hasn't always been about fit because Kentucky was obviously the most perfect fit the school that recruited you the longest. You were you were set up to come in, start as a true freshman, but kind of behind a good offensive line. They were going to tailor right. the whole offense to your skill set and. He passed on it, so we'll see. (laughs)
0: Um, And he did it in dramatic fashion, flip-flopping three times. And he was committed to Kentucky for a long time, and it's kind of like this guy. I believe his name's Kamar Wilcoxon. Am I getting that correct, Adam Luckett? That is correct. He committed for the fourth time this weekend. The third time he's committed to... The University of Florida he's uh, like a top two fifty top three hundred top 300 safety for me mm-hmm. yeah top three hundred safety for my academy and essentially he went he, he officially visit or not he unofficially visited for I was just going through his timeline and he would just commit to Florida every time he took an unofficial visit. It was like, oh this is great I'm committing and they are like, okay, we'll take you and that that all started in 2018 Here it is uh two years later. After committing to Tennessee, he decides, okay, I'm actually just going to go to Florida now.
1: Man, recruiting, especially in the <laughs> South, man, it's just, it's crazy. It's, I mean,
0: it's especially in the state of crazy. Florida, like, right?
1: Well, really, yeah, Florida especially, but even the just the deep South, like Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi, man. it's it's crazy, man. It's it's wild.
0: And, and this is going to get to the kind of recruiting conversation I wanted to have with you so uh we live in the city of Louisville the Cardinals they're just like just happy go fun time when it comes to basketball and football recruits right now uh and I would say in football they're doing much better than they were last year they're doing solid they have a good class but they're up I mean, to- it's a solid class for them yeah and and here's my question like it, they're, they're kind of taking the opposite strategy of Kentucky. They're loading up on commitments. They're up to 17 now. I think Kentucky is at 8, maybe 9. And I I feel like they're kind of dipping their toes in and waiting until they can start hosting visits. Kentucky's at 11 commits right now. They're up to 11. Oh, the punter. Right. The
1: punter and uh, Joko Willis, Juko linebacker, I'm rated. And
0: that's really what's bringing their ranking down. Okay. Uh, now... What I, I guess not, not as much as my question, but I, I feel like this is the Kentucky side of me, but I feel like Kentucky slow playing it in, under these odd circumstances is the smart move, especially if you're Louisville and you're Scott and you're Tots and you think that you're going to have another great season you can win up to nine games. Why would you take all of these kids right now when you could, in theory, get even better ones in October?
1: same reason kind of Tennessee did it. You can always flip these kids and go get after, you know, bigger fish if you're in play for them. I think, yeah. I think from Louisville's standpoint and what we've seen from Satterfield with early spring ball and then these hot starts in recruiting, he kind of likes to get it out of the way as soon as
0: possible. Huh, that's a good way to put it. And like so just, he can uh, focus on get it whether – Get Whether it's the
1: season, season or then, you know, the next recruiting class and just always trying to move fast and efficient, I would say. Um, but <laughs> when you look at Louisville, you know, they're they're doing a solid job. In the ACC, they're going to end up being like having the probably the, fifth, the sixth or seventh best class. Um, so they're right there with where they should be. They're above, you know, Boston College, Syracuse, Wake Forest, all them. Mm-hmm. But they're behind – north carolina and Clemson by a healthy amount and then they're within probably. punching distance of miami and Florida state right now and then okay. georgia Tech will probably end up above them but that that's that's good that's good that's where they should be but the, the, probably go better than
0: expected i was to say probably yeah. a little bit better than expected too
1: well um, well they're, they're, this class is going to end up between somewhere between 35 and 40 probably and if you do have told me you were going to get that from scott Satterfield you, you yeah. take it you know, right, that's right. that's a win for you if you're Louisville. But it's a double-edged sword because he's not recruiting the state.
0: No, not at all. Whereas, I think Kentucky, the the reason why I, I kind of laid out, I, I think Kentucky's plan was let's clean up the state and let's fill in a, a few holes. And they've done that with uh, John Summerall, recruiting some guys in the South, um, are recruiting some linebackers and some receivers, some where they need to just really load up uh, in this upcoming class, and, and then they're going to save the last, I don't know, uh, seven spots or so for big fish for guys like Jagger Burton, guys like Rayshon Benny. Uh, is it the Trig kid? Is that his Michael name? Michael Trig,
1: Tampa from or what? From, Tampa. Yeah,
0: yeah. So the, I I feel like there's you you've got your handful of big fish that you're you're willing to wait on but you're plugging areas of need and you're cleaning up Kentucky to get things started.
1: I think what you're seeing with Kentucky is there's some you know, top 300, top 200 prospects that they think they have really good shots at. I mean, you just named three off the top in Jagger Burton, Rayshon Benny, Michael Trigg, and there's a, a few others out there that I think they're kind of jockeying position for, and they're going to have to get those kids, those announcements it looks like those are going to go down to the wire. Like, Rayshawn right. Benny's probably going to go down to the last day, last signing day. Jagger Burton delayed his decision. There's no telling when when he's going to announce. I don't think Michael yeah. Trigg's in a big hurry. So, those three right, guys, right. plus there's some unknowns out there that we, what's that we the, haven't, what's haven't really discovered yet. What's the big yet.
0: kid, Doan, from Michigan? Um, Payne. Is it Damon Payne? Payne. Payne. Damon Payne. Yeah. I, I yeah. Was Like, that's a top 30 team. recruit they're in position
1: for, five, like, Probably going like, to be a five-star. It's Michigan,
0: Alabama, and Kentucky going after this game. Right, so <laughs> and you never know. So,
1: yeah. We'll never... see how the season – that's going to be the thing. See how the season goes. Kentucky has a big year. They could really have a really yeah. legit shot to get him if they go
0: and win nine, ten games, finishing in the top 25. And in, in, in Jagger Burton's case, I know a lot of folks are probably – Uh, oh my gosh, he's moving the decision back. This is bad news. He's dead set on making those visits, man. Yeah, yeah. And I've always gotten this impression from Jagger, too, that he's looking for, like, he's not looking for reasons to not go to UK, but he wants to go to all those places to confirm that he wants to stay at home and play for UK. Because he's grown up watching Oregon, and he's grown up seeing Ohio State, and they have a lot to offer. Um, uh, in just the tradition of those programs, in there, you know, they're playing on New Year's Day all the time, and I think he wants to help make Kentucky a part of that, and I, I believe that's where his heart's in it. But he has to go take these official visits, and it, because basically, <laughs> I, I like the way he words it too. He's like, coaches, they'll lie to you. You know, it's their job to to get you there, but players, they've got no reason to lie to. So. You know he's pretty close with Drake Jackson, and I and I can't name all the guys at other schools, but when he talks to those guys, most of the general consensus when he asks him, "When did you know where you're going to go?" It was when I took my official visit. So he's dead set on taking these officials, and uh, I, I could see him deciding around Halloween, uh, around November or something like that, when once he gets a, a few under his belt and just being like, "Okay, I, I, I've seen enough. I've seen enough." I could see. Him using that Georgia weekend for a UK uh, official visit or something like that, and then maybe you know Kentucky beats Georgia and he he sold. I I, I that's see if we're having official out. visits,
1: we still don't know.
0: No, you're you're exactly right. That hasn't in the logistics behind that. Like of all of the tertiary things, even though it's incredibly important. When it comes down to actually having games, official visits, they're they're at the very back of the line, and when it comes to priority,
1: one selling point I don't think people are touching up, touching on enough for Burton is the early playing time.
0: <laughs> yeah, that is because UK we is could, the only place where he can I mean, legitimately start at UK as a true freshman. Yeah, like that's not yeah. crazy. And if you look at, I mean, the same thing happened with Wayne and Young. He was a five-star, top one hundred guy, and Cole Moser gets hurt. He starts the second game of his career. Like,
1: let's just fast forward to twenty twenty-one. Kentucky's offensive line, Landon Young's gone. You probably side Nasir Watkins into the left tackle spot. Yeah, Kenneth Horsey, who you think's gonna start at left guard? He's holding down left guard. I would assume Quentin Wilson takes over at center. Yeah, yeah. Right guard, it's a total question mark. Yeah, we don't it's know anybody. And right tackle is a total question mark. So yeah, I look at can. that right side, and I think that those two spots are kind of waiting on John Young and Jagger
0: Burton to take. Yeah, and I and I would also say don't sleep on R.J. Adams. I yeah,
1: R.J. Adams too. Yeah,
0: he, he's, he's a reacts. he's a Kenneth Horsey. You better be on top of your stuff. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, the only
1: thing with R.J. Adams I want to see is just his weight and can he, is he gonna be uh, able to move around enough. Because he's he's got some weight that he probably needs to shape up a little bit.
0: Oh yeah, no, nothing a few right. sprints, wind sprints, and a max yeah. won't fix. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but, but I definitely yeah, no, think and, they
1: they see some bunchy
0: stallings probably in RJ Adams. And, and just to go back to Jagger Burton, though, that was the, Kentucky's the only place where immediate playing time really is a thing. So you you had that on top of the all the other. Uh, you know, selling points that Kentucky has. So I think Kentucky's in a good spot with Jagger Bard. I also think they're in a good spot for, for a couple other kids. I threw their names out there in the site recently. One is Martez thrower. And even mm-hmm. despite his name, he's not a quarterback. He's a linebacker, uh, South from Georgia. the state of Georgia. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a John Summerall recruit. They're both John Summerall recruits and like it, I don't know how much you've looked at that kid's film, but, uh, very patient run stuffer. I like that he just sits whenever a bunch of stuff's moving. He just sits there and then hits the hole as soon as it opens up and the running back tries to to run through it.
1: Yeah, It seems like they're making Georgia a big kind of emphasis, especially South Georgia. Yeah. That's yes. That's where they've gotten Jamin Davis, Travis Tisdale, Katie McDaniel. Uh, Magwood. Chauncey Magwood. All those kids mm-hmm. came from South Georgia.
0: Yes. And then over in Alabama, was recruiting a kid by the name of Christian Lewis, who mm-hmm. just put up stupid now numbers. Now the receiver. Yeah. And, yeah he's uh, a good-looking receiver prospect. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he reminds me of Alan Daly in that he's like, oh, best receiver for state title team. And the only difference is that Daly won his, and they lost theirs. It was a... Tennessee Titans, St. Louis Rams Super Bowl kind of moment. But it was more like, actually, more like Friday Night Lights where the dude gets, st- the quarterback gets stopped in the, like, on the one yard oh, line, line. For the final play. Oh, it was absolutely brutal. Absolutely brutal to watch that play unfold. Uh, but Lewis, he, I mean, he had almost 1,500 receiving yards, 20 touchdowns. <laughs> like, that's just, those are crazy numbers. And he does it in a lot of different ways. That is, I put that tape up on KSR. Just folks, if you haven't watched it yet, there's some fun receiver highlights out there. He has like a little bit of everything. Whereas, like, some guys, like Ar- Armand Scott, he's screen pass and jump balls. This kid is uh, Isaiah Cummings, same way, just throwing it up and then like lowering his shoulder and blocking people. This right. kid has like catching passes in between like three defenders diving at him and then juking four times. Like, just kind of like. How are they not tackling him? It's is he he's got fun tape.
1: As far as his recruitment, it looks like Notre Dame is kind of emerging as Kentucky's biggest competition. There, he's got an announcement yeah, Notre, set for September twenty eighth, and then and, a guy. Uh, uh, go it ahead. maybe
0: it may be even sooner, Adam Luckett. You might just want to keep okay. your ear low to the ground. Okay, um, but yeah, ahead. Notre Dame. He's he's got offers from. Uh, he that kid has like forty offers, uh, mm-hmm. and I know. Tennessee's in the mix. Uh, pretty uh, most SEC schools, except for Auburn and Bama. Um, Arkansas is has really. That's tried what to get I, I'm in glad you brought them up. Guys. I was going to bring them. Yeah. I was going to bring them up. Yeah,
1: that's a that's a school. Kentucky's going up against on a lot of guys in this class. Derek
0: Blanc's just like oh those one guys that we were going. It's almost like he he kept the playbook right. Because <laughs> and, and that's why that they're in with Rayshon Benny is because well was recruiting him at UK. And he goes to Arkansas and, and keeps that relationship going. Yeah, he Ray Sean Benny ain't going to Arkansas. <laughs> hey, you know what? As long as they get a hat on the table, they'll be happy. Um take, you got any more you recruiting get, before we
1: <laughs>
0: You got any more recruiting before we move on?
1: No. Um Mac Brown is this class he's putting together for I'm, I'll write about it probably next week in the recruiting roundup, but like this is gonna be like a it's got a chance to be a top five class. Like it's gonna be up there <laughs> if he lands some of these guys thereafter, which is freaking incredible. Wild. Yeah, yeah. Now they're benefiting because the state of North Carolina's like got like twenty blue chip prospects this year. So and they're landing a lot of those guys. But they've got like I believe like five top one hundred recruits right now.
0: That's crazy. The
1: number one corner, uh, who's in Virginia, is like a top ten prospect. Tony Grimes, I believe his name. He's pretty much down to North Carolina and Georgia, like he's gonna go one of those places. And that's that's like a recruit. That's one of the bigger recruitments to follow nationally. But the whole the whole class, I mean, the whole class is just incredible. Now, like fourteen of their fifteen commits are from North Carolina, but if they go out of state and land a couple guys. You're looking at a class that's going to be, you know, legit top ten, maybe even pushing um, top
0: five. I'm just trying to imagine a scenario where North Carolina is good at football. I'm pulling
1: it up right now. They have, looks like, eight top 200 prospects already. That's pretty good. Yeah, which is seven. Seven, I can't count. Seven top 200 prospects, but they're after a bunch more. Of their like 16 commits, 11 are blue chips. So yeah, he's kicking some major butt on the recruiting
0: track. Um, of all of these ACC schools to try to contend with Clemson, it gives me so much joy that it's North Carolina because nobody is less threatening than North Carolina. And and even if Mike Brown does have a nice little run here, you know, he he ain't got a whole lot of uh, fuel in the tank. Like I I can't imagine him coaching more than Six seven years there. There is definitely
1: some sleeping giant to North Carolina's football program, and I think we're going to hear that thrown out a lot, just because of what Mac Brown's doing on the recruiting trail. And if you can recruit like that in a bad in a bad division, because the, that, with Miami not having their act together, North Carolina is just lapping all these schools that well, they're in like, the same division with on the recruiting trail.
0: NC State, what have you been doing with Dave Dorn this whole time, like?
1: yeah well, yeah, that's that's the big big one and that's one for Louisville to keep always keep an eye on because NC state's a program that could legit recruit at a top 15 to 20 level consistently. They have that and because of local talent and because of they have a proven you know name they've always been able to recruit you know Florida, Georgia, and then North Carolina and in Charlotte area when they have a lot of talent, they can go in and get some players. But for Louisville, a big thing for them is keeping North Carolina State down because there's also some sleeper aspect to them where they really haven't reached their potential in a while.
0: Yeah, they've had the big quarterbacks that are in the NFL now, Russell Wilson, Phil Rivers. I mean, but they're getting older. Uh, and I, I think Satterfield at least has those North Carolina connections to try to recruit from there, and he's got Wedford on his staff. And so they're trying to, they're trying to pull from there. But, you know, right now it's their, their second fiddle uh, to, to the in schools. Right. But, Louisville,
1: it's, we're seeing some things with Satterfield. It's North Carolina, Georgia, and, you know, they're trying to keep that South Florida pipeline pumping a little mm-hmm. bit. Pumping. But you're, you're dealing with second and third tier prospects in those states most times and not. And then you can't recruit your state. Like, you can do that on a short-term basis in classes and survive without it. But eventually, you're going to have to get players from from home. And right now, Kentucky's got the advantage there. Uh,
0: I I would like to move to the state of Mississippi. Adam, moment. we haven't talked about the egg ball enough. Uh, it's it's been far too long, and it's in jeopardy of losing its best player this year. Colin Hill said, "Get your stuff together. Get that Confederate flag. Get that flag out of here. I'm not playing." Do we? Do you, do you think that? Hill uh, is willing to to back up that that promise that to to sit on the sideline if the state of Mississippi doesn't change its flag and get rid of that Confederate logo in the top left corner of it. I don't know. I would assume
1: that it's probably going to take more than him speaking out to change that flag. I know a lot of people have spoken out about it. I mean, it's probably going to happen eventually. I don't know if it happened by football season. Colin Hill was a guy that. He shocked everyone when he said he was coming back to school.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He was a guy most people thought would go probably third round or so, be like the top hundred pick. So, right. him just coming back, especially with Michael Leach. Coming yeah, in especially with Leach, was a pretty big surprise.
0: So, so we'll maybe see. He's I just don't like, really know. You know what? I might. He's probably got in his mind like. I've done enough to get drafted. Hell, I can go supplemental. That's what if I, I was thinking. To.
1: He could just go on the supplemental draft if he wanted to. But do you remember in the Music City Bowl, like there was a big scuttlebutt whether he was even going to play? Right, he might just sit out for the draft, and then he ended up playing, and then ended up coming back.
0: Yeah, it's real bizarre. So, uh, I hope just for actually, I don't. I mean, playing Mississippi State without him would be much easier. He was, he was. The top rusher in the SEC, not named Lynn Bowden, last year, he's going to be preseason first-team all-conference. Uh, and if Mississippi State and Mike Leach don't have him, you want to talk about a rock? it could be a rocky first-year in Starkville for, for Leach.
1: Yeah, but when they see him, it's going to be different than what they saw him last year because it's going to be 12 carries and nine receptions instead of right, 21 right. carries and two receptions.
0: I do appreciate, though, just that uh, – I think it was a day after, Brandon Eccles, who I mentioned earlier in this. Brandon Eccles, not a big fate of the, fan of the state of Mississippi. He, he tweeted out, I already had it in my mind. I was going to leave that racist state. Mississippi don't deserve all the talent walking around there. Whole state ungrateful. Colleges in Mississippi don't even recruit in-state players like they're supposed to till it's too late or make us a last uh, option. I don't regret being from Mississippi because it made me what I am today. The only reason I claim it. So my young boy is trying to go to college and get out of there and go somewhere better. And the thing that I, I appreciated most about that tweet like it is he really doesn't claim that he's from there. If you go to his UK bio, when he got Memphis, to UK he it. Said he's from Memphis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he said, Cause he, he actually, uh, grew up across the river. Um, uh, you know, kind of like if you were in Jeffersonville saying you're from Louisville. He said he was from Memphis. That's how much he hates the state of Mississippi. And I, I absolutely love it. Just a big kind of F you to the state. And it's also a case of where it's like, hey, this dude is a crazy athlete. And I know he was a little undersized, but Jesus, did you see the videos of him dunking? I did not, but he's, that doesn't surprise me. He's like 5'10 and doing windmills. Like, he's what, a big time athlete, man. Oh, man. Um, uh, excited I he decided to leave the season. We would never see college, it, though.
1: but I would love to see, like, an SEC half-court, maybe three-on-three or five-on-five basketball tournament from just football players.
0: Ooh. Did you see Joe Burrow in the Papa shot last year? hmm He can get buckets. Uh, I mean, I mean, hell, a lot of these dudes are just great athletes that played both those sports. Right. You get anyway.
1: Yeah. Like, even Kentucky, I would like to see, like, what does
0: what the, the best five look like? Ooh, ooh, let's try to put it together right now off the top of our head. One of them in recent years, I mean, this I would have been really good at this game three years ago when I was closer to college, and I would see some of those guys on campus. The defensive linemen are the ones who surprise you the most. Like, Nick Haynes could windmill dunk and stuff, and he was, I mean, and that was before even he lost all his weight with diabetes. He the lineman was, there, but yeah. Right, yeah. But like, though, though, some of the big guys, deceptively good. Uh, Ernest Sanders, I think we would have to put in there. We, we've seen that dude get up and cram. Jordan um, Wright, I think yes, you could throw good him call. out
1: on a big basketball court and to be kind of a six foot five, six foot six, probably undersized four man, just with a ton of athleticism that could rebound, guard and you know block shots i don't know oh. if he can shoot or anything but i think you could stick him on a basketball floor right now and i think he would
0: probably fit in he's a classic sec west man. yeah yeah like see, alabama or yeah, mississippi yeah. state you know yeah just we like see, a big ass physical dude you go inside. to the
1: sec tournament and you'll see nine players like what jordan wright would be if he yeah, played yeah. college
0: basketball and he he got recruited to play college basketball um, mm-hmm. Hell, the only picture we had on the website of him for a long time was Stoops and Grand hanging yeah, out the at, basketball his, uh, game. <laughs> at his basketball game. Uh, so uh, I'm trying to think if there's many. That, that was a good one. Um, if you all have any suggestions, please tweet them at us because uh, I'm struggling to come up with some off the top of my head right now. I feel like AJ Rose was okay in basketball. There's some dudes who are obviously missing out there, but Jordan Wright, very good call. He yeah. he probably is near the top. It's also a fun question to ask about like four weeks in spring practice or two and a half weeks in a camp when we run out of questions to ask and they start talking about basketball. Those are fun. I think Boogie's pretty good. I can from see what that. I understand. Yeah, I think Boogie's pretty good. So he kind of fits but, in that same
1: mold as Wright,
0: where he right right he There's can go out name.
1: there, rebound, block shots, guard people fit right in. Uh,
0: how On a scale of one to ten, how happy are we that the Belk Bowl didn't change sponsors before this last appearance? I love that name, man. The <laughs> Duke's Mayo Bowl? Oh, my oh, gosh. Beautiful. And I want to so see the trophy, what that looks like. It's just a giant jar of mayonnaise. <laughs> just sitting in the hot sun. What do you get for bowl gifts? A package of egg salad sandwiches. Like... <laughs> I mean <laughs> I mean the the last when, when Belk was the sponsor, they would just go on a Belk shopping spree and like did they get to go on a mayonnaise shopping spree? Get a bunch of different condiments? Oh. And what's gonna be even more confusing is I'm pretty sure so this applies to their preseason game too, and I'm pretty sure Duke's playing in that game. Yeah, they have a kickoff game in Charlotte every year. So Duke could win the Duke's Mayo bowl. Duke's Mayo kickoff classic. Which I'm sure there could be all kinds of confusion.
1: I'm George I'm all man. for random crazy bow names. Like we need more of it, if you ask me.
0: Big bad boy mowers was is my they're no favorite, longer
1: so. a thing. They they gave up their sponsorship. They, they went to something else.
0: I, I enjoyed the Cherubundi Boca Raton bowl too.
1: Cherry <laughs> tart bowl. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, that was. And a good who one. was it? Uh, somebody over. I think it was our boy. Uh, it was either Jason Kirk or Alex Kirchner that went to the. <laughs> it was they. It was like the warehouse industrial park in Michigan that was sponsoring the Bahamas Bowl. This yeah, year.
1: it's a Chicago-like neighborhood, or something. it's basically
0: like if if Riverport in Louisville was trying to attract more business, and <laughs> was like, you know what, we can get a lot of bang for our buck if we. Sponsor the Texas Bowl. Yeah, Let's they sponsored the that Chicago whatever the heck it is. They sponsor the Bahamas Bowl. <laughs> At least Popeyes. You would think like, well, maybe there's a Popeyes in the Bahamas. This is an industrial park in Chicago. Just, oh, ridiculous. Maybe we should get some ridiculous. funds together and KSR can sponsor a bowl. Just one year. Man, that would be fun. <laughs> like. That would be a lot of fun. Like we get to hang it, hand out the trophy. It could just be a Ryan Lemon statue. We call it the Lemon. <laughs> oh, all right. Look, let's wrap up with we got to talk about uh, our not so friendly friends from south of the border, the Tennessee Volunteers. There's two stories I want to bring up. One of them is a little bit more fun, and I- I'd like to save that for the end. I'd like you to start like it, um, because the 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 late Johnny Majors, before he passed away, RIP, Tennessee football, great, longtime head coach. Before he died, he spoke to a reporter from The Athletic, and, and basically, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but he kind of put up both of his middle fingers to Phil Fulmer? Yes. Yes. And we can get into this relationship.
1: So, let's just give some background about Johnny Majors. He played at Tennessee, was an All-American in 1956. He was second to Paul Horning in the Heisman Trophy in 1956. And Paul Horning, of course, won it in – Notre Dame was, what, like 2-9 and nine or 2-8 and eight that year? Only like famous, losing record. Yeah, famously won it for only losing record. So, that – That's still a thing Tennessee talks about to this day, that he didn't win it that that year. and Peyton Manning. And that that Peyton Manning (laughs) (laughs) didn't win it his senior year.
0: With Charles Woodson. Charles Woodson.
1: So those are two big things in Tennessee lore, that they didn't win the Heisman. So he goes on. He plays in the CFL for a little bit and then returns to Tennessee, assistant coach for a couple years, moves on, becomes a head coach at Iowa, Iowa State and head coach at Pittsburgh and head coach at Tennessee, and he has an argument that he's maybe the second or third best coach at three different programs. When you look at Iowa State, Pittsburgh, Tennessee, the best coach maybe at Iowa State and Pittsburgh ever. Pittsburgh, Mm -hmm. he wins the national championship. He's there for four seasons. After he wins the national championship, Tennessee comes calling. Um, He kind of debates it, but he, he goes to Tennessee. So he gets to Tennessee in 1977 and is there for a while. Um, kind of a slow build, but they end up breaking through. He wins a couple SEC titles. Um, they were not, you know, like like a perennial championship contender, but they were a solid program, and they got kind of got rolling there in the late '80s, um, finishing the top ten, '89, '90, won nine games in '91. So he's entering his 16th season in 1992, and so entering that season, they had got a quarterback in the name of Heath Schuller, who's one of the more famous Tennessee players was a really good quarterback for them. And they enter the season ranked number 22 in the country. But mm-hmm. in that off season, majors, uh, and during this, they were in like contract negotiations, like Tennessee wanted to extend them. Um, they were right. just trying to figure out how to do it exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, over the summer, it turns out he has, he goes to the doctor and he needs quintuple bypass surgery. And it has to happen. Right away. It was an emergency, like he had to go in in August, right before the season started. Oh, wow. So Tennessee finds themselves in a bind, so they just make Phil Fulmer, who's their offensive coordinator at the time, and had been at Tennessee for a few years. And I believe Majors was the coach to hire him away from Vanderbilt, where Fulmer was an assistant for one year in 1979. So Fulmer's on his staff. He gets promoted to offensive coordinator in 1989. So this is 1992. Falmer mm-hmm. takes the reins, and they get off to a really hot start. They Week two, they go to Georgia, win a crazy game. I believe it was like a crazy fourth quarter comeback, 34-31. The next week, they upset Florida at home. They go on two weeks later to win and shut out LSU in Death Valley. So they're 4-0. They're in the top five when Majors comes back. Majors goes on to lose his first three games back.
0: Oh, oh. Lose to
1: Arkansas by one point at home when you're top five, an unranked Arkansas team. You host Alabama the next week, who's in the top five. You lose to them by a touchdown. Then you go to South Carolina the week after that, lose another one-point game. So he loses Mm. three games essentially by nine points. After Mm. that, they rally the troops. They beat Memphis, beat Kentucky, beat Vanderbilt, and go to a bowl game. But while all this is happening, apparently Falmer is, let's say, getting some people, um, important people, in his camp. So behind the scenes, Falmer is kind of oh, so Falmer's politics, kind of what doing something that we've kind of insinuated that he does. <laughs> never, getting,
0: never would expect that from him.
1: He's trying to leverage himself into this coaching position. Because at this time, he's been an assistant for a while. He's ready to be a head coach. He gets a chance and they win. So he's like, hey, Mm -hmm. I want to be the head coach. I want to be now or I'm leaving kind of thing. And so some important people end up going on to do that. And it turns out that all of a sudden, Johnny Major's contract extension just kind of goes poof. It's not there anymore. They release a statement at the end of the season saying Philip Fulmer will be our next head coach. Johnny Majors is leaving. Johnny Majors gives a statement. I pretty much saying I had a great run in Tennessee. I appreciate all my coaches. Dot dot dot. The loyal ones. <laughs> And from now, this was a release. Like, this article was in the AP. Like, you can Google Johnny Majors, Philip Falmer, and you can pull up this article from 1992. Wow. And so, from that point forward, Johnny Majors and Falmer never talked to each other. Johnny Majors was not welcomed, like, was not invited back to the Tennessee football building until Lane Kiffin took over. Wow. And <laughs> if you go back and look at what happened, Tennessee's offense, when they took over, kind of made a step forward, kind of modernized because they got more, the passing game became a little bit more exotic. Right. The reason it became that way is because when Fulmer was promoted, a guy by the name of David Cutcliffe started calling uh, plays for Tennessee.
0: Ah, uh, so maybe Fulmer taking credit for uh, something he shouldn't have gotten credit for. Hmm, interesting. So the whole thing with that is, was Fulmer
1: is a back, he he he's a politician man. So he he's <laughs> he's pulled some of this stuff before, and like we've seen with him as an AD, that you always have to keep in the back of your mind that he has done some backroom politicking. Um, and he uprooted a guy he that he worked for, essentially his boss. He, he kind of got his boss fired, and then Majors went to Pitt. He pulled
0: a, he pulled a Dwight Schrute and. Uh, I went to Jan and tried to get Michael Scott fired, and this time it actually worked. It actually worked. Uh, the other Tennessee story I want to bring up had a little bit more hijinks, and it was about that one time Kentucky stole Smokey, <laughs> the mascot, and this was Outstanding. back in the story. Yeah, and the my overall takeaway from the story is, good God, you could not get away with this today. Whereas like back then, just you know, people weren't so damn sensitive to everything. There wasn't, like, internet for everybody to get outraged. News spread via the newspaper and television. And, you know, boys would be boys, that kind of thing. And uh, essentially, a former Tennessee student goes to U.K. law. He still has press credentials, and he was in the pep club. So he knows how Tennessee uses smoking. And this dog, this coonhound, it's only been that around for two years. And so U.K. students are like, oh, we got this new guy of fraternity. They stole the beer barrel from us. Well, it's time for us to go steal their mascot. And after taking Smokey on a Saturday, the week before the UK game, it essentially sent off a week of just back and forth of people driving up and down I-75, just playing pranks on each other. Uh, there was Tennessee students that tried to paint an orange tea at Memorial Coliseum and got arrested. And I love it that it just shows the 50s. They... Uh, the cops let him free once they agreed to. <laughs> <laughs> to There's no such record.
1: thing as vandalism. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, and then there was another instance where they thought he was at the fraternity house. So a bunch of guys, they went to the frat house and they heard a bunch of barking. And when they opened the door, it was just a bunch of frat guys laughing because they classic were Classic the frat barking. humor. Oh man, just classic frat humor. Uh, the dog was actually in Middlesbrough the whole time and... Uh, I I like that at one point the vet called and said, he's got a special diet. And if one thing happens to him, you'll fly me up and I'll be there in a minute to make sure this dog's okay. And so they ended yeah. up like putting some reporters in the back of a car, blindfolding them, taking him to Smokey and saying, here, you can take a picture of Smokey and putting him in a blue UK sweater. Huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there were, I mean, those were just a few of the pranks, the twists and turns that were really wild. It was like, yeah, they stole the UK mascot, Colonel, which was a wild cat I didn't that had know. Died. I didn't know Kentucky had a live mascot until so I read that. They had one, but they realized, okay, these animals are not <laughs> meant to be in, like, they're, they, they live in solitary, in solitude. They shouldn't be around 20,000 people. So they quit having that mascot after it died, and they had it stuffed by a taxidermist, In like a science building, and the UT, the UT guys, they stole it back. they were like, "Give us our dog, or and you'll get your wildcat back." And they're like, "Dude, nobody cares. It's a dead cat. Like, come on." Um, Just a lot of back and forth that ultimately ended with them exchanging the cat and the dog at the game. Kentucky won twenty three to nothing. They carried the beer barrel off the field, and and all was well for a couple of years, and then. This is where the, the twist even turned even more. Smokey, that same Smokey dog, Smokey 2, died two or three years later. It was on its leash, and it just ate an entire chocolate pie in Lexington, like at the UK game. How does a chocolate pie just get near a dog in the middle of a football game? Maybe that's uh,
1: what the concession stand was selling before hot pretzels became popular. <laughs> chocolate pies.
0: Oh, God. And then... Uh, And then when end up. The name of the
1: guy who conspired
0: it all, uh, Beauregard or something, (laughs) Beauchamp Brogan. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, just the frattiest (laughs) frat guy in the history of frat, the biggest warrior ever. And then he ends up after doing Tennessee wrong. He interviews to be in-house counsel at Tennessee. During his interview. He admits that he was the guy who conspired against the plan, and they were like, we want that guy defending our cases and he served as in-house counselor for like 40 God, no, years. No. He was he UT grad, went to law school at UK.
1: Yes, yes. He was in the pep club or whatever so he knew all of Smokey's what they did pretty for secret. him. And yeah. then who owned Smokey? Apparently those people were pretty brash and just told everybody <laughs> where <laughs> they lived and then they had this, you know, blue-tick coonhound oh, kind of um lair for right, all right. for all for all the future Smokeys. And so they just went up there and the guy who owned them just gave it to him mm-hmm. <laughs> with no with no regard. Says, Alright, we'll be back in a couple hours. And they nice. weren't back in a couple hours. He smokey was up up north kicking in, in Millsboro.
0: Yeah. Wild time. Bell just, County. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, a better day for most. You know, just times were simpler in the fifties. Times are much, much simpler, but we are have a time, Luckett. It's bath time for the baby dude, so i got to get out of here. But it's been a pleasure talking football with you, as always. Anytime, my man. Anytime. Well, Luckett, we'll be talking to you soon. Hang on, folks. We'll be back with another episode of Living and Personnel. Before you know it, Till then, go Cats, go Kroger.